0: Well, tonight I want to begin a new series of studies, as May's intimated, and I want us to attempt what I would consider to be a contemporary look at grace. So not so much um, a systematic look, or maybe even biblical, but a contemporary look at grace. Grace. And for that, I begin with a text from Colossians chapter 4. And my text is just four words. (laughs) Four words of the Apostle Paul. Colossians 4 in verse 18. Paul says, grace be with you. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, We seek your help as we focus our attentions upon what is, for the most part, a familiar word. Grace. We hear it often, regularly within the confines of the Christian church. We use it all the time. Father, help us, we pray, to understand What grace means for me, for us tonight, in the real world. And so open your word to us, we pray. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, to us as individuals. Open our hearts, Father, to receive the word of God in the name of Jesus. Amen. I prefaced tonight's study. When everything is really bad, there's only one word for it. Grace. The gift of grace. I walked away from Judith's hospital bed, opened the door, And stopped for a moment to glance back at her before I left her. She lifted her head a little, smiled a loving smile, and simply said, It's all right. And then I left her, never to see her alive again. Her words have haunted me down the years. And in many ways, for me, become a metaphor for life's deepest question. How can anyone really believe that it's all right when everything is so obviously, hopelessly wrong? How can anyone really believe it's all right when everything is so obviously, hopelessly wrong? Judith Buchanan was an exceptional Christian. She was a graduate of Cambridge University, first class honours had her whole professional life in front of her as a biochemist, a career promised her. But she left all that behind as God called her into full-time Christian ministry. She served for over 30 years as a missionary in El Escorial in northern Spain. She had been such a great inspiration to me for many, many years that when I heard that she was dying of cancer, I flew to Spain to spend time with her while she had the strength to talk. And we talked, and we talked, and we talked. Some of it was business. I was, at the time, the executive director of OMS International, a missionary organization with which she was serving. But most of it was precious Precious fellowship. But how could she believe it was all right when everything seemed so obviously, helplessly wrong? It's all right. It's a kind of cliche, it's a commonplace. We hear it used often, don't we? A boy is bowled out for a duck in his first cricket match and his coach says, It's all right. We spill some coffee on a clean tablecloth and the hostess says, It's all right. The baby cries in the middle of the night and awakens the whole house. And the mother says, it's all right. Clichés of reassurance, commonplaces, if you like, about things a lot less significant than life and death. But Judith Buchanan, my friends, was not talking about spilled coffee. She was not talking about a duck in cricket. She was talking about life and death at their very heart. In that setting, the commonplace, the cliche, it's all right, either becomes something that's profoundly deceptive or something... That's profoundly true. It seems to me. There's no halfway. There's no middle ground. For Judith Buchanan. It's all right. Either meant something profoundly. Deceptive. Or something. Wonderfully. Profoundly. True. The word grace has often been no more than a commonplace pleasantry. Oh yeah. I hear it often. Especially within the confines of the Christian church. When I hear it, I wonder The Apostle Paul picked up the old bromide grace from what was in his day a trivial custom. And he closed all his letters with a variation on the grace theme, did he not? Grace be with you, for instance, or something similar. But he used what was contextually a commonplace, a pleasantry, a cliche. And he elevated it, did he not? If you were around in the Apostle Paul's day, you could have heard the word grace spoken in a commonplace manner, regularly. Harris was the word. A man might have been at a bar and perhaps greeted a stranger as he toasted him with a glass of wine. Harris, grace be with you. Commonplace. Didn't mean much. A man might have signed off a letter. Maybe to someone he loved, perhaps even to someone he hated with the same expression. Harris, grace be with you. A pleasantry. A commonplace. Probably didn't mean much. A stale, flip, silly little lie people used to oil the machinery of trivial conversation. This commonplace was taken... By the Apostle Paul. And elevated. It. It's important we understand that. Elevated. Paul, for me, rescued this anemic commonplace. Dipped it into the, a whole new reality. And made it a signal of God's assurance that life can be all right even when it is all wrong. You see, dear friends, the reality of Jesus Christ transformed the cliché of grace into the reality of God. I'll say that again. The reality of Jesus Christ transformed what was a cliché The cliche of grace into the reality of God. What reality, you say? Well, the reality of God breaking through into our time. The reality of God breaking through into our history. The reality of God breaking through into our lives to make things all right just when everything is obviously all wrong. Grace. It's a shorthand for everything that God is and does for us in our tired and sinful, broken lives. Grace. It is the one word for all that God is for us in the form of Jesus Christ. Grace. Now grace, of course, has many faces. In tonight's study, with a close eye on the clock, I want to focus on three faces of grace. Three profiles, if you like, of God's amazing way of ministering to us when we are down. God's amazing way of reaching out to us when everything is obviously all wrong. Three thoughts. Three faces. We're going to consider together grace is pardon, grace is power, grace is promise. Grace, my friends, is pardon. Hallelujah. The older I get, the more conscious I become of my faults. And my failures. (laughs) The nearer I get to Jesus. The more conscious I become of my inadequacies. And my inabilities. Generally therefore. I don't need some well-meaning. Or for that matter. Some not so well-meaning brother or sister in Christ. To explain to me where I have gone wrong. I know, I understand more and more that my life does not live up to my own expectations of myself, never mind, let alone God's expectations of me, but friends, what can I do? What can I do when I fail to come close to meeting God's expectations, to meeting God's requirements? Do I take refuge in religion? Many do. Many do. Well, let me warn you, brethren, from experience. A religion without grace will wallop you with God's image of the perfect human life and condemn you for not matching your life to it. Religion clobbers you for your failures and sends you groveling in the sawdust of defeat. Religion tells you that you are forever wrong unless you measure up to God's ideal. And you try, and you try, and you try to measure up to God's ideal. And guess what? You fail. But grace, hallelujah, grace can convince you at the depths of your soul That it is, in point of fact, all right, even though a lot is wrong with you. Hallelujah. Grace. By grace, God persuades you that as far as He is concerned, in spite of everything, and in spite of yourself, all is right with you. This is... One amazing thing about grace, it's its surprising contradiction of the tender conscience. Oh boy, I don't know about you, but my conscience condemns me regularly. (laughs) Now I'm looking at spiritual people. I'm sure you don't have the same problem as I. But let me show you my heart my conscience condemns me regularly but grace grace god's grace contradicts my conscience hallelujah conscience says it's all wrong with you atherton because you are wrong grace says My child, it's all right with you, even though you're all wrong. Hallelujah. Would you Adam and Eve it? That's grace. Grace always surprises me. Now, it's not surprising that God wants us to be good, is it? It's not surprising that God wants us to be honest and fair and decent and kind. Every deity conceived in the pious imagination of religious folk wants these things. But the surprising word of an amazing God through His Son, Jesus Christ, the word coming from the cross where Jesus died to make things all right, this surprising word, this wonderful word to a sinful soul, to a soul like mine is, Atherton, my child, it is all right at the very core of your life. It is all right, Atherton, precisely when it's all wrong. Hallelujah. It is all wrong. Why? Because I am what I am. Born in sin. I am what I am. Born in sin. It's all wrong with me. And in spite of my very best efforts to get it right, it remains all wrong. In fact, the more I attempt to get it all right, the more I make it all wrong. Bizarrely. But grace looks down upon me from heaven and says, My child, even though it's all wrong with you, it's all right. Hallelujah. Isn't that something? Even though it's all wrong with you, it's all right. Because Jesus died to make it all right. And that's grace. Friends, this is the pardon of grace. Theologically, it's known as saving grace. The first face of grace that embraces us. Embraces us, brethren, not in a religious act. Embraces us in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Grace. For Doug Atherton tonight is pardon. Hallelujah. It's pardon. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that bless your socks off? Well, for me, it blesses mine. The second face of grace is the power. To bring Doug Atherton closer to God. That I might be a better person today than I was yesterday. Grace is power unlike any energy we manipulate through our technology. Grace is a power totally unlike anything we create in a nuclear reactor, for instance. It is different from all physical force. And it is different also from moral force. You see, grace does not make us better people by bullying us into some kind of moral improvement. Religion attempts to do that, doesn't it? The power to make us better works, my friends, when God freely persuades us that it is alright with us the way we are. You look puzzled. Power, the power of God's grace is released in us when God persuades us by His Holy Spirit that it's all right with us the way we are. Too many Christians are bound, bound by a desire to work favor. In the sight of God. But they're Christian? Yes. The born again of God's Spirit? Yes. Nevertheless, they are still trying to achieve. For His kingdom's sake. They're still trying to be a better Christian than they were yesterday. They're still trying to, to find themselves closer to God. Do you know what I mean? Try. I've got to get the out. <laughs> but the power of grace is that the Holy Spirit convinces us it's all right with us. It's all right with us as we are. For we can come no other way anyhow. You see, grace, the power of grace is paradoxical. When we are freed by pardoning, by saving grace, we are most powerful. When we are convinced that we can never be condemned for what we are, and that no judgment, no catastrophic guilt can hurt us, the power of grace begins to work in us. When grace persuades us that it's all right with us, even when we are wrong, then the power of grace begins to work to make it right. How do I know that? Well, let's look at two New Testament examples. We could be here all night, but we won't. Don't worry. Peter. Peter denied Jesus. Not once. Not twice. Three times. And why? Why, I ask you? Well, to save face, it seems to me, in front of a chambermaid. He said he didn't know the man. And when he faced up to his cowardice, he cried, my paraphrase, I am a Christ denier. Can you imagine that? A Christ denier. But my friends, at the moment he confessed, he heard God say, I believe, Peter, it's all right with you. It's all right with you even now when you are so terribly wrong. Isn't that amazing? And at that moment, I believe, friends, the moment of his most contemptible weakness, when Peter embraced the grace That embraced him. He received power to be an apostle of Christ. Instead of a denier of Christ. That's the power of grace. Not the power of the apostle. The power of grace. Hallelujah. Paul. Paul. He was an apostle killer. Wasn't he? He persecuted the church. Paul had a moral monster on his conscience, I'm sure of it. And when he confronted that conscience, he saw himself as all wrong. And he cried, my paraphrase, I'm the kind of person who kills apostles, who kills disciples, who kills the church. But when he acknowledged his horrible identity crisis Paul I believe like Peter heard God say Paul Paul it's all right with you even now when you are so terribly wrong not that moment the moment of his most contemptible weakness when Paul embraced the grace that sought to embrace him he received power he received power, friends, to become, instead of an apostle killer, the greatest of the apostles. That's the power of grace. And so it goes, my friends. The moment we know it's all right, even though we are grotesquely wrong, We are liberated from our private burden of failures and giving power to become the sort of person that God wants us to be. To put it theologically, for you theologians, the moment we feel our justification, we are on our way to our sanctification. That's the power of grace. The moment we accept our justification by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone is the moment we're on our way to knowing our sanctification. The power of God. We might not, like Peter, become a great apostle of Christ. We may not, like Paul, become the greatest of the apostles. But boy, oh boy. We will be great for God's kingdom's sake. Why? Because the power is not of me, it's not of you, it is of God. The power of grace. The straight jacket of self-hatred is off. The shackles of self-judgment are ripped away. The liberating power is set loose and we are on the way to becoming the person that God wants us to be. This sanctifying power of grace is the second face of grace. The third face of grace is the power to live today as if things are going to be all right tomorrow. How liberating! How sad it is that from week to week i oft-times look upon a church who are bound by fears of tomorrow. Where do those fears come from? Not of God. For if the perfect love of God reigns in our hearts and lives, that perfect love drives out all fear. But boy, oh boy, the number of Christians I bump into, come across, maybe even minister to, from one week to the next, whose lives are dominated by fear of tomorrow. Grace is the mysterious power to live as if you know tomorrow will be better than today. <laughs> even though. Common sense gives you the odds that tomorrow will be just awful. Many of us listen to our consciences and are condemned. Many of us listen to common sense and are equally condemned. Let's be honest, common sense says, "Other than tomorrow is going to be as difficult if not worse. Circumstances for you and your family, they are tough. They're going to get worse. That's what common sense says. If I listen to common sense, I will despair. And in my desperate state, I lose the blessing of God. I lose the purpose of God. I lose the power of God. But grace, my friends, is promise that in spite of today, tomorrow is going to be better. And if I embrace that reality, if I embrace that truth, then my today is far more effective, far more powerful, far more productive for the sake of the kingdom. But oh, woe is me, we say as we sit in our pews from one Sunday to the next. Woe is me, Monday, tomorrow. Promises to be awful. Woe is me, oh, it's back at school for some of us teachers, bless you. Oh, my goodness me. (laughs) And the churches are full of Christians Complaining, woe. Who have we listened to? Who have we listened to? Grace tells us that God gives us the power to make tomorrow better than today. This summer, Tens of thousands of UK students will graduate from universities and various colleges of further and higher education. However, it is understood that for every graduate who realizes their dream and secures the job and career they've always wanted, up to 150 graduates will be forced to settle for second or even third best there's going to be a lot of disappointed graduates come September, October, isn't there? Oh, how these graduates need a promise that tomorrow will be better than today. Will they find that promise in the world? Of course they won't. For God's grace, it is claimed that for every rising young executive, Listen, for every single rising young executive, there are 30,000 men and women plodding along from nine to five, bored, frustrated, and boiling in jobs they never really wanted in the first place, longing for jobs they're never ever going to get. Oh, my friends, how these dead-end jobs need A promise that tomorrow is going to be better than today. Where will they get that promise from? From the world. This summertime, thousands of unwitting lovers will stand in front of preachers and officiates of various kinds waiting for magic words. That will lift them off into love's endless spaces where happiness will be the very air that they breathe for the rest of their lives. Listen, but for every couple, for every couple ready to fly the friendly skies of love this summer, there are a hundred couples whose flight was grounded years and years ago. A hundred couples, when the power of their love has petered out and the inertia of boredom or the energy of hatred has really set in and screwed them up. What does the world promise them? What does God promise? A promise of grace. The tomorrow for them is going to be better than today. Oh, my friends, to people like these and to every one of us who has lost touch with God's intentions for our future, I want to repeat the Apostle Paul's amazing words. Grace be with you. What do you mean, Pastor? Grace be with you. What grace? grace be with you saving grace that will pardon you from sin and tell you that in point of fact everything is all right even though it's all wrong grace be with you the power of grace that will come and minister into your hearts and lives in such a way that everything will be all right even though it's all wrong grace be with you The substantiating grace that promises that tomorrow for me, Doug Atherton, will be better than today. Why? Because God is with me. And he that is within me is greater than he that is in the world. If I listen to my conscience, I ain't going to get up in the morning, it's not worth the hassle. If I listen to common sense... I ain't going to get up in the morning. It's not worth the hassle. But I cast my eye heavenward and I know the pardoning grace of a loving Heavenly Father in Christ. I know the powerful grace of a loving Heavenly Father in Christ. I know the promise of grace through a loving Heavenly Father in Christ. Grace be with you. Judith Buchanan. It's all right, she said. And you know something? It was, and it is, hallelujah, all right with Judith Buchanan. Why? Because of God's grace. God's grace. Let's... Lift it up from mere commonplace use, even within the confines of the church, and recognize it for what it is. The pardon, the power, and the promise of God. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your precious Word. As the Apostle blessed his congregations with the grace of God, we ask in the name of Jesus that by your Holy Spirit we might know that very same grace of God tonight. And where we are condemned by our conscience, oh, may the grace of God save us from our sin. And make it all right with us even when it's all wrong. And when common sense tells us that it's it's useless, that we're too weak, we're too pathetic, we're without direction. Then Lord help us to embrace the powerful grace of God that tells us that we have a power from God that is beyond human comparison or understanding. And a promise for tomorrow. Tomorrow. In the face of all these terrorist atrocities, tomorrow. In the face of a general election with all the ambiguities that brings, tomorrow. In the face of all the the duties that we have to perform in work or at home, tomorrow. In the face of all the ambiguities related to our physical self, our our mental state, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be better. Better than today. Because God is with us. Hear our prayer, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen.